Well, good evening. Thanks for being here tonight. If you're a guest, we want to warmly welcome you, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. Thanks for giving up an hour of your evening on this Thursday, Monday, Thursday. My name's Tim. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, we are in a series of messages for Holy Week that we've called Worth It. And uh, you're here tonight because it was worth it to you to be here. Or maybe somebody invited you and they were worth it enough to come along and to see maybe if there is something that God would speak to your heart and your life tonight. And so tonight we're going to be looking at worth the humiliation and what that looks like. And so Monday, Thursday is the night that we celebrate Jesus, the night before he was betrayed. And so as we think about God, as we think about Jesus being fully God and also fully man, he knew what he was about to face. He knew that he was going to be taken captive. He knew that he would ultimately die on a cross. But being fully man, he also went through all of the human feelings and emotions that we go through. And so he knew, because he was God, that this was his final time with his disciples. And so I want to start by asking you this question tonight. Have you ever thought about what would be your last words if you were given this opportunity, if you knew that you were going to die, to your friends and family? Has anyone actually thought about that? No? Are you thinking about it now? Is anything coming to your mind? Like, I'm out of here. Jesus, take the wheel. I love you. Am I helping at all? Maybe this can be your homework assignment for the night. Okay, on your ride home, let's ask in the cars, what would be your final, what would you want to say? Well, here's some famous people. Believe it or not, they were actually able to capture their final words. Queen Elizabeth I said this, all my possessions for a moment of time. Isn't that interesting? All the wealth and all the splendor that she had. Those of you that like poetry, Dylan said this, I've had 18 straight whiskeys. I think that's a record. Then he closed his eyes and died. Think of that, okay? How about Leonardo da Vinci? Anybody familiar with him? I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Final words. Isn't that kind of sad? I mean, let's be honest. They've, they've done research on this, and they know that most people, 99.9% .9 of people, when they get to their deathbed, aren't on their deathbed going, I wish I would have spent more time at work. If only I had made a little bit more money. If only I had a few more investments. If only I would have done this, would have done that. You know, oftentimes it's one of the most emotional times for people. And sometimes it's actually a time of confession for people because they'll say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have spent more time serving others. I wish I would have spent more time with my eyes and my time and my possessions not being so focused on me, but maybe focused on others. Even as you look at different religions of the world, this was Buddha's final words. Work hard to gain your own salvation. And that's sad too. And that's what the world religions offer you. They tell you that you somehow have to participate in your salvation, that you have to be part of making yourself holy or clean or righteous before God. And you're not doing enough, so you should work harder. The fact that he would even say this to those that were gathered at his bedside. So again, 
if you only had one day left to live, one day left to live, what would you use that time doing? You want me to give you the answer? If today was your last day on earth, where would you be? Thank you. Church! Front row got it right. Wait, you would, if you knew this was your last day, would you not come to the Monday, Thursday service? Some of you were like, no, I would go buy an, a, an expensive exotic car and I would start driving to anywhere and then I would just die on the freeway. I mean, I, some people have crazy ideas with you. I would hope, just say yes, you would come to church because it makes me feel better, okay? You would come to church because you want to be in church. You want to be connected to God. You want to be around God's people. And so as we look at this text tonight, we're going to get a, a picture of, of just really, truly who the incredible God that we serve is and what Jesus did with his final moments with his disciples. And the Gospel of John actually gives us information that the other three Gospel writers don't give us. He gives us an interaction that Jesus had with the disciples that's so intimate and so personal, and yet so important even for our lives today. And so it begins in John chapter 13, verse 1, this way. It was just before the Passover festival. Now, they have celebrated this for hundreds of years, okay? So the disciples, this is normal for them. I mean, they had done this since they were little children. Jesus didn't just know the day. He knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, listen to this, he loved them to the end. Now, it's very important because the first thing that God does for us is he loves us, and he loves us unconditionally. He loved them even though he knew even in this evening they were going to screw it up. He loved them that even though he knew what the events were about to unfold and his closest followers would abandon them, he still loved them. And oh, by the way, he loved them to the end. goes on to say this, the evening meal was in progress, okay? So these guys are already chowing down on food. And you've got to imagine, 12 hungry dudes that have spent the last three years together. They're like brothers, right? And they're going to town on the evening meal. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he ultimately would return to God. This is what Luke tells us in his account. So the disciples decide to have a little mealtime conversation and they begin arguing amongst themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Does that sound like anybody's holiday meals? Or I'm not gonna, some, some moms are pointing to their kids at this point, right? I mean, truly, this is what siblings do, right? Hopefully this isn't your Thanksgiving, your Christmas, or your Easter dinner, but sometimes this stuff takes place. And they're arguing about where they're going to sit and who's going to do this and that. And this actually isn't the first time that that we find the disciples arguing about stuff like this. Well, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. He goes on to say this, but among you it will be different. You think that I'm coming to establish my kingdom here on earth. You think that I've come to overthrow the Roman government. You, co- you think that, that you guys are going to be in these positions of leadership and power. And guess what? That's not the case. It's going to be different for you. Leadership is going to look a whole lot different to you disciples. So take note of what it is that I'm going to teach you tonight. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. And again, this isn't the first time that Jesus actually taught them this lesson. 
So imagine here they are, they're arguing, and he throws this out, and some of them may have, may have said to themselves, hey, I think maybe I've heard this before. And what's what really interesting is in the same moment, Jesus actually gets up from the meal, mid-meal, he, he's, he's, in the, he's interrupting the meal, and he takes off his outer clothing, and he wraps a towel around his waist, and after that, he actually pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, and he dries them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, if you didn't know, during this time, this was very customary to actually have your feet washed before you would go into a room. I know how some of you are about your homes. You don't like it when people have shoes on in your homes. Any of you out there that would like to admit that tonight? Right? It's okay to admit that. And you've probably done this study. There was stuff going around about how many nasty things are on the bottom of our shoes. Right? And so you're, you're just, even when guests come over, sometimes it's hard and it's like, man, can you just take your shoes off? I just don't want anybody's shoes in my house. These guys wore sandals. These guys walked around on dirty roads. These were a bunch of men. Bunch of men. Their feet look like this. Now think about this. In this time, the way that they would eat would be at a low-level table, okay? So they would be pretty much lying on the ground, and they would be really close to each other. And so if you have... 12 grown men, 13 with Jesus, lying on the ground, their feet would be close to what? The next guy's face. That's disgusting. (laughs) And none of them, because when they got there, were willing to wash each other's feet. They weren't even willing to wash their own feet. Now think about this. Jesus had made all the preparations. You read in the other gospel accounts about how he gave them the instructions and you follow this guy with the jar of water and you do this and you do this and this is the room and this is where I want you to meet. I mean, Jesus was the ultimate party planner. He planned this entire meal and when they got there, they must have said, oh my gosh, Jesus forgot a little detail. We get it. This probably isn't his normal thing to, to plan Passover meals. He forgot the foot washer. Well, I guess we're not getting our feet washed. Let's just go straight to eating and let's just have a good old time. And the fact that Jesus gets up mid-meal and interrupts what they're doing and lowers himself to this low-level position that none of them would have wanted to do. And one by one, think about this, he washes their feet. Slowly and methodically And you can imagine the silence in that room, how that entire place must have just came to a screeching halt as they're watching these events unfold. See, this is what happens sometimes in our lives when we get to a place where we think we're too good to do something. Well, I would never scrub a toilet, or I would never go do this or that, or certainly God would never call me to do this. There's other people that would be called to do that. See, pride always says, that's not my job. I'm not responsible for that. Yet humility always says, I can do that. And if that's what God is calling me to do, and if that's what God is asking me to do, or if that's what my spouse is asking me to do, or that's what my parents are asking me to do, or that's what my kids are asking me to do, whatever the case may be, God, I'll do that if that's taking on the form of a servant, if that's what you are actually calling me to do. And here he is going disciple by disciple, straight on down the line, till he finally gets to Simon Peter. And he comes to Simon Peter, 
And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? So at least he asked Jesus. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Isn't that a really hard statement to hear from anybody? Now, I know there's some kids in here, right? Kids, doesn't this drive you nuts when you ask your parents a question and they say, I'll tell you when you're older? Does that not just infuriate, does that infuriate you when your parents, when you, when you ask a question, you're like, just wait. Wait like five years, wait 10 years, wait 30 years, and I'll give you the answer to your question. Do you know what's no different for us when we're adults? When we want God to answer our questions or we want him to answer our prayers and he's not giving us the answer we want and all we keep hearing is wait, wait, wait. If you didn't know this, we have a very patient God. Very patient. Insanely patient. Way more patient than sometimes we want him to be, but it's always for our good. And what does Peter do? He tells God, no, you shall never wash my feet. You're not doing it. That was a trick question, Jesus. I just wanted to see what you would say. And since you said that, I'm going to tell you, you're, no, you're not going to get anywhere near my feet. And Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Do you think the other disciples went, ooh? Like, Peter's getting it again. He was already told he was going to get sifted as wheat. Now, man, this guy really knows how to aggravate the Messiah. Like, come on, Peter. What's so interesting for us is those moments in our lives when God has to humble us, when God literally has to break us and get us to come to our senses. And I can tell you this, there has been so many times in my life along the way where God has had to teach me hard lessons that I'm not actually in control of my life and that his plan for my life is way better than any plan that I could ever come up with. In fact, there was this one time when I was in college and I was just working so hard. My parents had recently moved to Arizona because uh, my dad had lost his job here in Michigan and so here I am living in Minneapolis and they're far away and I'm working full time. I'm going to school full time. I wanted to prove that I was an adult. I wanted to prove that I didn't need to be dependent on anyone. So I was willing to do whatever it took to prove my manhood, to to prove my independence. And there was times that I would come back to Michigan because I still had friends and family still here in this state. And on this one particular visit home, I was trying to be responsible. I knew that I had to get my oil changed. I knew that I had to pay my taxes and I wanted to stop by my home church. Those were like the three priorities that I had on my trip home. And so I go to a place called Brothers Tire. It's in Roseville. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this place. And it's a, it was owned, it used to be owned by a family friend of ours. And so I go in and I say, hey, Dennis, I need to get my oil changed. And he said, okay, great, take a seat in the lobby. Now I want you to think about this. This was before we had smartphones, okay? You actually had to, like, grab magazines. <laughs> Anybody remember those days? And there was, like, these things called pop machines, and you would put a quarter in, and a Coca-Cola can would come out. So I'm sitting in the lobby. I'm getting a little impatient because I'm checking my pager, wondering what's taking so long. When all of a sudden, Dennis comes out and he says, hey, Tim, I got some bad news for you. I'm like, oh, gosh, no. Why does everyone do this when you just want to go in for a simple oil change? Please, no, I don't need bad news. And he said, Tim, all four of your tires are bald. And I said, no, they're not bald. He's like, dude, do you want to come see your tires? I'm like, listen, I just drove here all the way from Minneapolis. That car is running like a champ. That thing is amazing. 
And he goes, you really need to get four new tires. And I said, you don't understand, Dennis, I don't have the money to buy tires. I'm on a strict budget. I know what I need to do. I, have the, I, gotta, I gotta come here, get the oil changed. I gotta go pay the tax, gotta do my taxes. And I, need, I have just enough in gas to get back to Minneapolis. And so he said, Tim, I don't even know if I feel comfortable sending you out here without new tires. He's like, you really need to do something. Why don't you call, this is the worst thing, right? Why don't you call your parents <laughs> and have them give you their credit card number? And I'll tell you this, I was so prideful that I, that I got in an argument with this guy. I said, there is no way that I'm calling, there's no way that I will be dependent upon another person on this planet. And he looked at me, I could just feel his frustration. He goes, fine, all right, it's your call. I'll, I'll, I'll change your oil and I'll get you on your way. And so he uh, went back in and I was sitting in the lobby, which felt like an eternity. And he came back out, he, he gave me the bill, I paid it, and I started walking to my car. And I noticed that there was four brand new tires on my car. And I got inside my car, and I'm telling you this, I wept like a baby. Wept. And I, and I just said, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? God was literally, think about this, washing my feet through somebody else. It gets crazier. I left there, and I went to the guy that does my taxes, the same guy that's done my taxes since I was 18 years old. And I had the money, and I had everything ready to go. And he said, as long as you're in school, I'm not charging you to do your taxes. And I said, no, 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 that's not how this is going to work. I don't do charity. Even if I'm in a ministry school, I don't need it. And he refused to take my money. This is God. This is all God's hand. As I told you, my third thing was to make sure that I went to church. And so that Sunday, I went to church and a, and a gentleman that I know, a guy that's like a, a spiritual father to me, I gr you know, grew up with his kids. As I was leaving the church, he said, Tim, wait a second, before you leave and go back to Minneapolis, I need, I need, to, I need to share something with you. And I said, oh, what is that? And he said, I just want to shake your hand. And as he's shaking my hand, he's stuffing money into my palm. And I could feel the money, and then he, he closed my hand, and he literally started walking as fast as he could away from me. When God wants to break you, he will break you. Amen? When God wants to show you that you're not in control of your life and that he has the ability to provide for you, he will provide for you. And I'm telling you, this has had to happen to me over and over again. God, not my will, but your will. God, why is it so hard for us sometimes to receive the blessings that even God has for us? We are his children. He is madly in love with us. He wants to provide for us, yet somehow we've gotten this mindset on this earth that we have to control our destiny, that we have to control everything, even our final words on this planet. So let me ask you tonight, is there an area of pride in your life that you know the Holy Spirit's been gently and lovingly poking at in your life? And asking you, is there an area that maybe you need to lay down? That maybe you've built yourself too far up to the point of God saying, listen, you can humble yourself, or I can humble yourself, but I love you too much to leave you where you're at. It's kind of interesting to see the interaction between Jesus and Peter, because Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. 
And this is the most important of what he says in, the, in these verses. You are clean, Simon Peter. You are clean because I have declared you to be clean. Not because you participate in this, not because I need you to do something for me. You are clean because I am telling you, you are clean. And if I wash your feet and tell you you are clean, you are clean. It's the same way when we come to the waters of baptism. Think about this. It's not that there's anything in the water. It's when the, it's when the word of God is combined with, the, with, the, with scripture that it has the power to change and transform a human heart and life. We don't do anything for God. God does it all for us. Even in a few moments as we prepare to receive Holy Communion, it's what God is doing for us in that moment. It's his presence in and with the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of our sins. We can't forgive ourselves. Our job is to confess our sins. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, which confession is just another way of saying humbling ourselves, admitting that we're not the ones that are in charge on this planet, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins and he does the cleansing us of all unrighteousness. We confess, he cleanses. We admit that we don't have it all together. He cleanses. We admit that we're sinners. He cleanses us, and he cleanses us immediately, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He parts our, sea, our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now look at this. Because when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and he returned to his place. Can you imagine the temperature in the room at this point? Imagine all the disciples just looking at each other at this point. And then Jesus asked this question, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you notice none of them actually answered the question? They were probably afraid. I think I would be afraid to mess with Jesus at this point. Not even Peter. Peter wised up and said, maybe let's not answer this question. But he goes on to say this, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Don't forget I am your teacher. Don't forget all the things that I've taught you these last three years. And don't forget, I am the promised Messiah for you and for your family and for the generations to come. I want you to think about the order again that Jesus did these things. What did he do first? He loved them. Then he served them. And then he taught them. I'm going to say it again. He loved them. He served them, and then he taught them. See, in our world, we like to teach people, don't we? We think if we just have a little bit more information, a little bit more knowledge, that we can convince people of the truth, or we can convince people on our side. And if there's one thing this last year has taught us, is that everybody has opinions. I had no idea everybody had so many opinions about world events. I have never heard more opinions in my life as a pastor. I can tell you that for certain. Literally never knew what some people have inside of them. But what is the model that Jesus gives us? You love people unconditionally. You love the people in your family. You love the people in your church. You love the people in your community. You love the people that don't even love you. You love the people that disagree with you. And not only are you going to love them, you're going to serve them. There's some people that I really don't want to serve. Can I just admit that tonight? Is that okay if I admit that? There's some people that you don't want to serve. There's some people that get on your nerves and you're like, man, okay, I'll, I'll say that I love them because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Now you want me to serve them? Because by loving them and serving them, it opens the door to sharing the gospel, to teaching them, to telling them of the hope that you have. 
Here's what's so crazy about Jesus. He washed all of their feet. No one was left behind in this group. He washed Judas, the betrayer's feet. He washed all their feet knowing that they were going to desert him in the garden. Every single one of them. As soon as there's a little bit of conflict, they're going to be going and running in multiple different directions, far from Jesus, leaving him there alone. And he definitely washed Peter's feet. The guy who said he would never deny Jesus, and you know how this goes. He didn't deny him once. He didn't deny him twice. He denied him three times. And yet Jesus is so amazing, so full of grace and mercy that he still washes their feet. Why? What is he connecting them to in this passage? Himself. Again, over and over and over again. We don't come to God. We don't fix our lives and then present ourselves to the Lord. We come to him broken and in need of his mercy and his grace. In fact, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And on Monday, Thursday, 2021, I think it's an incredible opportunity for us to step back and to remember of the grace and the mercy that God has for you, that God has for your family, that he has not given up on you. Even if you've screwed up over and over and over again, he's going to forgive you over and over and over again. Because this was his final instructions to him. That I, your Lord and teacher, as I have washed your feet, hey, go and do this for one another. Can you imagine the disciples? Do you think in that moment they were thinking, you want us to wash each other's feet? I've seen John's feet. I've seen Peter's feet. I've seen Matthew's feet. I'm not touching that guy's feet, right? No, it's so much bigger than that. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So again, Jesus humbling himself because his disciples were worth it. He knew what this was going to do. Plant this in their minds and that one day they were going to be awakened to this reality that they were going to be brought back to this teaching and this is what they were going to use to launch the greatest movement the world has ever seen, the church and the movement of the church. So tonight as we prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion, will you once again examine yourself? That's what it says to do as we re- prepare to receive Holy Communion. Examine your heart and say, is there an area that maybe the Holy Spirit is revealing to you tonight that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And Heavenly Father, as we come to you tonight, whether we're here in this gymnasium or we're watching in our living rooms, God, we're thankful, as the scripture says, that as we confess to you, as we humble ourselves to you, that you are faithful and you are just and that you will forgive us and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, in this moment, in this time, help us to lay those areas down at your feet.